You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hello, this is Dr. Penny Chris Etherton, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. Our topic today on lipid luminations is carotid IMT guidelines, and our guest is Dr. Edward Gill, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology and the Department of Medicine at the University of Washington. Dr. Gill is also Clinical Professor of Diagnostic Ultrasound at Seattle University. We're recording this interview at the National Lipid Association's 2011 Annual Scientific Sessions, which are held this year in New York City. Ed, thank you very much for joining us on Lipid Luminations today. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So obviously, in clinical trials and in the literature and in the news in the last few years, carotid intimal medial thickness measurement has taken a high profile. And I know that recently the Society of Atherosclerosis Imaging and Prevention developed appropriate use criteria to try and guide us as to which types of patients make sense to have this procedure. So can you tell our audience a little bit about who one might consider this procedure in and what would be appropriate versus not appropriate? Absolutely, Alan. I'd love to go into those indications as we have them today. So to sort of summarize the appropriateness criteria, I would say that they are sort of the bottom line was very similar to what everyone thought before was that carotid IMT is useful for patients of intermediate risk. And that really was the main indication where it was felt to be appropriate. So the patient that is high risk, the patient that is low risk, those were not felt to be appropriate use of CIMT. And the reason is you don't really need that, right? If they're low risk, you're not going to be too aggressive with treatment. If they're high risk, you got to treat them aggressively regardless, right? Yeah, so exactly. So the intermediate the case, group, it helps you decide how nervous to be about that intermediate group. Is that fair? Right. And actually, I wonder, you know, for our audience's purposes, should we talk a little bit about what CIMT is? Yeah, let's do that. And I know that it's not available everywhere. And, and in some places it is available, but they don't do it well. So as you talk about actually the technique and what it is, can you give us a little insight into how easy is it to do the test and how might a doctor identify a place that would be appropriate for referral? Certainly. So carotid IMT, just for definition, is the measurement of the layer in the carotid artery between the intima and the media layers. And normal is really based on what is normal for age, ethnicity, and gender. And so we can't really say that normal has an exact number, but rather is a range based on percentiles, so to speak. And so carotid IMT has been used to stratify patients into their risk and perhaps to make it more crystal clear beyond what is determined from their traditional risk factors, if you will traditional risk factors being like age, blood pressure, cholesterol, etc. It is a very controversial subject for a number of reasons. The first reason is it's not looking at the coronaries, right? So why should we be looking at carotid IMT? Why should we be looking at the carotid when what we really want to know is what's happening at the coronaries? So why aren't we imaging the coronaries? Well, so the reason by ultrasound that we don't measure or image the coronaries is because they move, they're small, and can't be resolved by ultrasound. However, they can be resolved by coronary CT, and coronary calcium score is a whole different subject, which we won't touch much on today. So, in fact, most people think that, uh, and the data shows, that carotid IMT is a good window to the coronary arteries because it's the same 
type of risk factors that lead to carotid atherosclerosis lead to coronary atherosclerosis. And so that's why we've come to use that. Some people, I think, misinterpret that when you're doing IMT, you're looking for plaques in the carotids. You're actually looking at wall thickness, as you pointed out, right? How does that correlate with the risk of atherosclerotic events going forward? Right. So the hazard ratio for coronary atherosclerosis and for, particularly, as you said, cardiac events correlates quite well with carotid IMT in a whole slew of studies that have been done encompassing like 30,000 patients. Uh, The hazard ratio for increasing carotid IMT is like hazard ratio greater than two in most of those studies. So it is very significant. And so it is a very good test to look for atherosclerosis in general. But getting back to your question about plaque, plaque actually, you know, it's true, that's not carotid IMT measurement. But if you combine carotid IMT measurement with finding a plaque in the carotid artery at the same time, that actually improves your risk assessment of the patient. So, and that's been shown in studies where carotid IMT has incremental value over traditional risk factors, and then carotid IMT plus plaque evaluation has even more incremental value over traditional risk factors. And what people look at is the area under the curve or C statistic also a a measure that has some controversy, but as you look at that, that number goes substantially up. Actually goes up a small amount, but significant amount as you go from traditional risk factors to carotid IMT to carotid IMT plus plaque measurement. So let me ask you about the actual technique. Can you describe for us how is it done? What are the pitfalls versus the pluses? Is it a very reproducible procedure and can people do it in any ultrasound lab? And So, you know, give me your thoughts on that. And clearly, that's another of the areas of controversies with carotid IMT is standardization of the technique. And there clearly is some observer or some operator importance to the test. And so when you're a physician looking for a lab to do carotid IMT, I would say, you know, look for accreditation, look for experience, look for the director of the lab as being someone who has passion about evaluation of coronary risk factors and is a preventive cardiologist, you know, all the things that people like myself and James Stein bring to their labs to bring, um, if you will, accuracy and reproducibility to the measurement. But you asked about reproducibility. That's another huge controversy about carotid IMT. And a question is always is that should serial measurements of carotid IMT be done? And that leads to, uh, in the appropriateness criteria, they stated that repeated measures wasn't one of the appropriate criteria. Okay, well, that's a good segue. Let's talk a little bit about what were the major points of the appropriateness criteria. In whom should we always order this test and in whom should we never order the test? They addressed a couple of major groups in the appropriateness uh, criteria. And one was just patients in general at risk for cardiovascular disease, and the other was patients with metabolic syndrome. And then once again, what they said was for CIMT for initial detection of coronary heart disease risk, so those that were intermediate risk were the ones that were most appropriate. And then for patients with metabolic syndrome, so again, for initial detection of coronary heart disease, those that were less than 30 years of age had relatively low appropriateness as opposed to 30 to 60 years of age and greater than 60 years of age and metabolic syndrome. Those were the areas that it was most appropriate. 
And I guess the one point I wanted to make about the appropriateness criteria was they did mention about coronary calcium score. So if someone has a very high coronary calcium score, then carotid IMT is not going to add anything. But if you take a patient who has a low coronary calcium score, like zero or less than 10, again, carotid IMT isn't going to add anything if their Framingham risk assessment is very low. But if their Framingham risk is high, but yet they have a coronary calcium score of zero, that would be a particular group where it would be appropriate to use carotid IMT. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss carotid intimal medial thickness guidelines is Dr. Edward Gill, professor of medicine in the Division of Cardiology, Department of Medicine at the University of Washington. Dr. Gill is also clinical professor of diagnostic ultrasound at Seattle University. Okay, so with that said about the appropriateness criteria... Let me ask you a little bit about the pluses and minuses of the clinical trials that have been done. Do you think that we can use, for example, the effect of a drug on carotid intimal medial thickness to predict cardiovascular events? And is it going to be a surrogate for these huge, expensive clinical outcome trials to say that if a drug has an effect on your carotid intimal medial thickness, then it's going to have an effect on clinical outcomes? You've touched on one of the other huge controversies of carotid IMT, and particularly, I can think of two trials, the ENHANCE trial and the ARBITER-6 trial, that particularly bring out those controversies. And so the ENHANCE trial randomized patients to simvastatin versus simvastatin plus azetamide, and they looked at uh, the long-term endpoint of change in carotid IMT. And the bottom line was that there was really no difference between carotid IMT at the end of the study in those two study groups. But And so some people have taken that to mean that azetamibe is an ineffective drug, but there are several flaws in coming to that conclusion. They relate to whether carotid IMT can be used as a surrogate endpoint. And so I think that it's difficult to use it as a surrogate endpoint for cardiovascular outcomes. I mean, you certainly can't extrapolate that change in carotid IMT is going to result in change in cardiovascular outcomes. But in this particular case, there was no difference. But the major flaw was that the starting carotid IMT thickness was pretty low, like 0.7, which if you had to pick a cut point for carotid IMT for what's normal and what's abnormal, and we talked about how you can't really do that because you have to normalize for age, genders, etc., 0.7 would be a good cutoff. So essentially, we started with normal carotid IMT, and we showed that we couldn't make it any better. So that's not surprising. How would you compare, as a, my final question, the use of IMT versus other surrogate markers, such as uh, IVIS or even CRP or other novel risk factors like inflammatory biomarkers? Where would you place the role of IMT, and, and whom would you maybe go to IMT versus one of these other assessments of risk for an individual patient. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a user and proponent of carotid IMT, but 
I certainly am in favor of some modality that actually looks at the vasculature, be it carotid IMT or coronary calcium, so that you're actually looking at the disease process rather than a marker of a risk factor that might lead to the disease process. So in that regard, you know, even something as basic as total cholesterol is still looking at a risk factor. Carotid IMT and coronary calcium score are actually looking at the disease process. So First of all, to reiterate for the appropriateness criteria for the low-risk patient, they're low-risk, keep them low-risk. You don't need to do expensive tests for the high-risk patient. In general, the same kind of concepts apply. But for the intermediate-risk patient, I think that carotid IMT is a great test to look at. I think also that coronary calcium score is a great test to look at. Which one is better? Um, you know, the data shows that coronary calcium correlates better in terms of your hazard ratio. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, carotid IMT is also a very good test. And I also want to point out that for patients that have cardiac events that have low or even zero calcium score, which are clearly outliers, that doesn't happen very often. But if you look at that group from the MESA cohort of patients, that most of those patients had high or relatively high carotid IMT. And so the message I don't want the audience to get is that everyone should get both tests, but uh, clearly they are complementary in their risk assessment. And so as in most tests, what your institution does best is probably what you should do at your institution. And that, again, leads to the reproducibility question about carotid IMT that you mentioned. And so the thing that makes it difficult to do is what part of the carotid you measure. The common carotid is the most reproducible part of the carotid artery. The internal carotid is much more difficult to evaluate, even though that's what was looked at at all the clinical trials is a combination of different parts of the carotid. For a practical clinical use, I think the common carotid is the best to look at. And you should look at a combination of both carotid IMT and carotid plaque formation. And then you have the advantage of no radiation exposure compared to the calcium score, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And then again, with regard to reproducibility, currently, again, a big source of controversy is whether you should remeasure carotid IMT. Currently, the appropriateness criteria said no to that, but there is a writing group that's going to be forming here to talk about remeasuring carotid IMT. And I think in the long term, as ultrasound technology continues to improve and the technique for measuring the exact same area of the carotid in the same patient becomes more advanced, that repeat measures of carotid IMT will become part of the forefront. But today, on May 20th, 2011, perhaps not. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Edward Gill, Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology, Department of Medicine at the University of Washington. Ed, thank you very much for joining us on Lipid Luminations and for your insights on carotid IMT. And thank you for having me, Ellen. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.